Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode 332 of Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300. I'm here with my co-hosts, Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue. We've got a great lineup for you today. Yeah, we have a feature with author Leah Conan and her suspense novel, You Should Have Told Me, which is a Paste Magazine most anticipated book of 2023 and featured in Vogue, The Skim, Baby List, and Crime Reads. Up next, we have a two-minute tip from Paul Reale from Charlotte Lit called How to Get Something Started, Part 4. Yeah, we also have a uh, writing topic discussion. Uh, Cameron uh, Polverari, author of From the Fire Scattered There, uh, she's speaking to this, might I suggest, a hammock which explores the role of rest for writers. And then we're also going to share some reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and let you know what's coming up in the next episode. Yeah, and uh, first of all, what's up with the podcast books? Well, it's March 28th, folks, and uh, that means that we've got another book in this series, uh, the second book uh, in an eight-book series that's coming out uh, April 1st. Uh, you'll be able to get it uh, in an ebook uh, online, wherever you like to get your ebooks, whether that's uh, Kindle or Nook or Apple Books or Kobo, wherever, uh, you can download it there. Um, and also you can get it as a print book wherever books are sold. It'll be local at Park Road Books and also everywhere else uh, that you download those print books or order them. So that'll be fun. And uh, let's just uh, quickly recap since we're so excited about these things. What is this stuff anyway we're doing, Hannah, these eight books? Well, we're taking so much inspiration and all these, I like to call them like golden nuggets from so all of the interviews that have been done over the past four years, which is so many different people have been on the show, self-published writers, New York Times bestsellers, um, indie press, all sorts of things. So you kind of get to get a good taste of like all sorts of different paths pathways towards publishing, how you market your books, and also just general writing inspiration. It's all really beautiful and um, just kind of a, we wanted to spread the the uh, golden nugget wealth, really, <laughs> with all of you guys. Yeah, yeah. And the first book, just to remind everybody on the writing life, uh, it, it's free to download as an ebook. You can get that. Uh, you can also order it in print. Um, these other books, we're only pricing them at $4.99 each, but Sarah, there is a way that uh, people... Uh, can get these uh, ebooks in the series free. Tell them how they can do that. Yeah, there's actually a couple of ways. So you can join our street team if you go to the website and look at the contact tab. Um, there's a way to sign up for our street team there. And if you do that, then you'll get each of the ebooks for free. And we just ask that in return you leave us your honest reviews. Um, or you can also sign up for our Patreon, and our Patreon members get all of the ebooks for free as well. Um, plus, of course, the Patreon members have access to, I believe, over 150 exclusive episodes of interviews and um, extra content for Patreon as a thank you. Yeah, and we would tell you what's up with the host as of March 28th, but, uh, you know, we're we're a couple weeks out from that, and we might not know what we're up to <laughs> on March 28th, so we'll put that in the newsletter and keep you all updated. We're living in the moment. <laughs> That's right. We'll keep you all updated about that. Uh, so we'll just, uh, we'll just kind of move uh, right into um, our Act 1 uh, right after this. 
We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, here we are on Act One. This is the interview portion of the show. We've got uh, an author interview with uh, Leah Conan. The book is You Should Have Told Me. Uh, Sarah, tell us about Leah. Yeah, I, I read this book and I absolutely loved it. Um, I don't normally read many thrillers, but this just totally had me from the first page. So I definitely want to check out more of Leah's work. Um, she's also written The Perfect Escape and All the Broken People and several young adult novels, including Love and Other Trainwrecks and The Romantics. Um, she graduated from UNC Chapel Hill, where she studied journalism and English literature. And now she lives in Brooklyn and Socrates, New York with her husband, their daughter, Eleanor, and their dog, Farley. Yeah, and Hannah, if you could give us sort of the... Uh tagline for the book and maybe a little bit of the praise we've seen yeah first of all i love the name farley for a dog i think that's super cute <laughs> um and her book is an endless an endlessly suspenseful and surprising look at both the beauty and darkness of modern motherhood um it is a roller coaster of a thriller with the family at its heart that speaks to me on many levels <laughs> and i do love thrillers so much um and for praise uh conan's sophomore thriller the perfect escape published two glowing reviews um from genre heavy hitters like megan miranda and andrea bartz was one of Marie Claire's most anticipated books of 2022, positioning Conan as a writer to watch. All right. Well, we're going to position her as a writer to listen to right now. And uh, so here we go. I'm so happy to have Leah Conan joining us here today to talk about You Should Have Told Me. Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So this book has a really amazing premise for a thriller, I think. You kind of marry the tensions of new parenthood with the tensions of a crime and of a murder story. How did you come up with the idea for this book? So for me, it kind of it kind of just, I feel like it kind of came up uh, itself. So I had just had my daughter um, and I had kind of just been through this all, a lot of the feelings that and emotions that Janie is struggling with at the beginning and then uh, my daughter was born in November 2019. So then it was immediately from that into a global pandemic and being locked down. So I think it was a really unusual time to kind of have your first child and it was very isolating. And so when the summer came around, uh, my daughter was, you know, she was sleeping a little bit better. I was feeling better. And I really, I started to have a little bit of time to write and I kind of sat down and just the beginning kind of just poured out. I think I needed to kind of like cathartically get everything that had happened out. And, um, and so, I don't know, I thought just, I thought it's such a time that's so tender and raw and kind of like can be scary and horrifying on its own, even if you don't throw in a murder mystery. And so I thought pairing the two was just such an interesting kind of space to explore because it's like, what if you're already in this time that you feel like you're barely surviving and then the worst thing happens, you know, mm -hmm. the person who's supposed to be helping you just completely disappears. Yeah, it's so compelling and it's so original too. I've never seen those two worlds kind of brought together. Um, and I know you said this came from a personal place for you in your life. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of how you wanted to portray motherhood and parenthood in the book and maybe some things that you wanted to bring to the fore that haven't been represented as much in media? Yeah, so I think... Um, for me, I was finding that, that, you know, I was able to obviously care for my baby and, 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 and do all the right things, um, feed her and, and stay up with her and all that. 
but I was finding that the thoughts I was having just didn't feel like they aligned with that. Like I was told by everyone that I was supposed to have fallen instantly in love and have this instant bond that was unlike anything else. And that's just not what I was feeling. And so I felt a lot of pressure to feel differently. And, and I'm a very open person. And I think when I started to, to share that with friends and family, and then, you know, I, I posted to my personal social media, some of the stuff that had been going on. And so many women were reaching out to me and saying, I felt the exact same way, but I was afraid to tell anybody. Um, one person from college actually said, like, I never even told my own husband that I was feeling this. And so I really wanted to portray that. Um, and I wanted to be there to be a little bit more nuance about it than I had seen before. Just in that, I think a lot of times when you see uh, in TV or movies, you see a woman with postpartum depression, a lot of times it's portrayed in a way of, you know, a woman actually losing touch with reality or potentially fearing um, harming her own child. And while that does happen, it's extremely, extremely rare. And I think the much more common experience is just, you know, this hormonal depression and anxiety that can kind of take you over. And so I wanted to show that I wanted to show a woman who is actually being a good mother and who is taking care of her baby to absolutely the best of her ability, but is still contending with these thoughts that she feels don't kind of fit what they're supposed to. Yeah, I think you you portrayed that in such a powerful way. Um, and you're obviously coming to this character, Janie, the main character, as she's in this very precarious psychological place. And it's a very raw depiction of her feelings, um, both about you know new motherhood plus this crisis that her family is now going through. Um, do you have any advice or tips you can share for other writers about how to write with emotional honesty and kind of access those deeper places? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing is to not be afraid um, or feel shame, or if you do feel shame, to just kind of write through it, but to not be afraid to kind of put it out with all, you know, all its intensity and all its maybe, you know, some emotions can be, you know, on the uglier side and not things that we want to share. And I think, I think with a character, you can take someone and they, I think the great thing about fiction is that it can be inspired by stuff that you went through, but it's ultimately always going to be a different character. So there is a little bit of a separation. I think that's, that's a little, that's, that can be really freeing for people. So I think when it comes to writing with emotion and honesty, it's like you can really tap into things you have experienced yourself, but you can also twist them and change them and make them something new. And I think that gives you the freedom to maybe be a little bit more honest than you could if you were writing like a memoir or you know, if you were just, you know, talking to a friend. Yeah, that's such a good point. Almost by wrapping it in fiction, you can be more honest maybe with yourself and other people than if you were just literally telling your own story. <laughs> totally. And I think it works for readers as well. I think sometimes readers can, it's very different to read something where you feel like you're in somebody's head and you, you feel very seen than to just say, you know, read a WebMD about postpartum depression and what mm -hmm. it can, how it can present and what it can mean. Like, I think it's, it's totally different to, to really get into someone's deepest thoughts and, and feel like you get a window into that. Yeah, that's true. It's so immersive. Um, and one of the things that you really deal with here in Janie's thoughts and feelings and a theme that comes through a lot is the idea of fear, which you have both because it's a thriller, it's a murder mystery. So there's like the fear of death and crime and physical danger, but then also the fear on kind of the more personal level with, um, you know, fear of things in relationships, of change, of betrayal of a partner, of the responsibilities of parenthood or 
repeating the mistakes of your parents. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you thought about that theme and emotion of fear as you were writing this? Yeah, so I think it's something that's so natural for uh, a new parent because, you know, even if your life is in a really good spot and things are going exactly how, how you want them to, you still have, you know, you have so much information now in modern parenting and and so many statistics and there's so many, you know, recalls and all these things. So you just, you're kind of living in this paranoia of like checking that your baby's breathing and making sure there's not a blanket in the crib and, you know, all these things that used to be done and it, it all, everyone kind of survived, but now we are, you know, and it's a good thing to have more information um, and to be able to protect our children more, but it, it also creates this incredible burden, I think, um, of fear on parents to to feel that they have to prevent every single thing that could possibly go wrong. So I think that, I mean, it's a natural theme because that's where JD's headspace already was before any of the bad things happened. And then I think when you throw in, like, you know, she's got all these internal fears or fears that are happening around this very close relationship she has with her child. And then you throw in all this external stuff that every everything from existential, like who who, you know, who is my partner and, and was our love real and all that to like very, very, you know, just like factual things. Like, did he kill somebody who killed this person? You know, what are these secrets and mysteries? So I think, I think it was interesting for me to be able to throw in elements that, that would scare anybody like a murder um, and help them to use it to kind of be a metaphor for, for how scary it can be uh, to be a new parent. Yeah, that's such a potent combination there too. Um, and I have a few more questions I want to ask about the book and about your your writing career more, career more broadly. But um, first, I would love to ask if you want to read us a little passage from the book. Yes, I would love to. So um, this kind of starts, uh, this passage is basically she's she has told uh, Max, her partner, kind of what she's emotionally and mentally going through and he suggests that she sleeps in the guest bedroom that night and he will do all the feedings of the night so she can catch up on some sleep fortunately she wakes up uh, her baby's screaming and her partner is gone so this is that next morning um she's calling him and calling him and trying to get in touch with him and find out what's what's going on his phone was still working so that meant what if max was safe somewhere staring down phone in his hand what if he was choosing not to answer us? Why would he answer you, I thought, after you told him you didn't even want your own baby? Would he? Could he? Would he really dare abandon us on purpose? Freya pulled off, breaking her latch, as if she could sense the change in my demeanor, could taste the anger in my milk. No, it wasn't possible. He wouldn't. She cried again, and I lifted her to my shoulder, wrapped at her back, beating her like a drum, the only way to get a good burp. After a minute, it came, and so did the feeling, hot and wet, on my shoulder. The sour, sweet smell of her spit up. I mopped it up with a rag, then switched her to the other side. She fussed a minute before she got on, and I dutifully started the timer. The minutes passed painfully slowly, with no end to this hell in sight. Usually after the morning feed, I handed her over to Max. He'd play with her a bit, settle her in her bouncer or her lounging pillow, let her suck on the llama pacifier, give me a minute to brush my teeth, shove down a bit of yogurt before she was hungry again. But there was no Max now, no break. The not knowing when he would return, when he'd relieve me of my duties, was terrifying. So many minutes, so many hours without Max, Max's sweet stories and cooing sounds. Just the two of us, and she'd see right through me. 
she'd see how much I doubted myself, doubted everything, how difficult this was for me, how bad I was at this. She'd know it if she didn't already, that I didn't love her half as much as I should, that sometimes I wondered if I loved this strange, needy little alien even a little bit at all. I could hold her now and hate her for bringing us all of this, for changing our lives in this way, and at the same time, I knew it deep inside me. I couldn't hate her. She hadn't asked for this. We had. She'd done nothing. She deserved all my love, all my affection. She deserved a good mother, a good father. I'd always assumed that she'd have that at least. Wow, that's such a tense situation. You're just like right there with her through every second of it. <laughs> I was getting second-hand stress as I was reading, but um, right, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful passage. Um, so, since this is a mystery story, I'm always interested to talk to mystery and thriller writers about kind of how they plot out their stories. You know, it's so complex. There's a lot of twists and turns. So many moving pieces in place. Um, how did you approach sort of plotting this? Like, did you know how it was going to end up or kind of the, the real story behind the mystery as you were writing it? So a couple different things. So this, this was my book that I wrote during the pandemic. And so I was going on these really long runs because there was like nothing else to do in the world. I needed like a mm -hmm. break from the baby. And so I was going on these like five and six, I mean, not super long, but like six or seven mile runs. And I would just kind of, I had had like the seed of the idea and I'd written maybe the first 50 pages and then I would just start thinking and everything would kind of unfold. Um, I think having space and just being away from my computer, away from books, away from all of that kind of let a lot of that come together. And then I always use um, two screenwriting books to help me kind of plot out things. One is Save the Cat, um, which is, uh, basically helps you create a beat sheet of like the key moments you're going to hit. And then the other is anatomy of story, which is also a screenwriting book, but it's kind of from a more character perspective. So I always use those. So I definitely did plot it because I plot all of my books, but I think for this one, especially, especially the beginning was a little bit more natural and a little bit kind of just kind of the story idea coming to me and kind of me following along and seeing where it was going. Yeah, I love how you said that you like would come up with ideas out on runs because I hear that from so many writers. It's, oh, I was out walking my dog and I came up with this idea. Or... Walking my dog is like really a good one too. If I'm stuck, mm -hmm. that's what I always do because I think there's this inherent pressure when you're sitting in front of your computer and you feel like the weight of everything on you as you're just like staring at the Word document. But when you're away and I think, especially when you're in a place where you're doing something where you can't even really run over and write things down, it it gives you this freedom because it takes all the pressure off. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and especially because this is such a complicated story too, with a lot of moving parts and, you know, a very detailed timeline that you're holding together. How did you make sure that you were kind of keeping everything straight and there weren't any plot holes? Did you have like your editor or beta readers or critique partners help with that? Yeah. So I always have a lot. Of, I have a great set of beta readers and then I also have, amazing editors and um, my situation is kind of unique in that I have uh, my US editors and I also have uh, editors in the UK and they all give me feedback. It's wonderful. So I, you know, it's, it's hard because it's hard to catch, it's certainly hard to catch everything, but I think a lot of plot holes and a lot of, you know, things that don't add up with a mystery, especially is it really helps to, to have a fresh, fresh eyes and someone outside of you because it's hard to write, you know, as you're writing, you know what's going to happen. So it's hard to see if you're 
hitting it too hard or you're holding back too much. So I think that's when you kind of can really rely on beta readers. Yeah, I think that's so crucial. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about your background. I know we were talking earlier and you went to UNC Chapel Hill. And since I am a Tar Heel as well, <laughs> I have to ask yes, a little bit awesome. about like what, what was your time there like and how did that impact your career in any way? So it was, you know, it was a great time. I loved UNC. Um, and I'm still like extremely close with so many people that I met there. Um, but it, it definitely impacted my career because I studied journalism and I decided probably my senior year that I wanted to focus on magazine journalism instead of newspapers. And that choice is really kind of what sent me up to New York um, because that's where all the jobs were at the time. And I think New York is really what made me realize that both I wanted to be a writer and that it was something that was possible because in the city, there were just so many writers everywhere and they were just completely normal people who, you know, had jobs and were doing things and then would like also publish novels. And I think, I think going there so young and having, seeing all that, um, is really what kind of pushed me into that direction. But I think if I hadn't studied journalism and I hadn't gone to UNC, I wouldn't have chosen that path to begin with. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, and I also like to ask writers a little bit about their just kind of nuts and bolts of their process. So what, you know, a standard writing session might look like for you, whether it's a certain time of day, do you like to be in a certain place? Are you like drinking tea or coffee while you write? Kind of what does a typical writing session look like for you? So I, I have to have coffee um, and I have to ideally do, if I'm drafting something new, it has to be at like the beginning of the day, like, as, you know, after I, not like super early, but after I get up. Um, and cause I find that I can do other work later in the day, you know, answering emails, even editing, revising all that. But I find when I'm drafting, I really want to have my absolute, like kind of freshest ideas there. And something, the other thing that I do that I feel like is crucial to my process is I don't actually write in Microsoft word. I use a program called Scrivener, uh, which is specifically for made for writing longer projects and I think what helps me with it is everything is kind of divided up already into note cards with scenes kind of attached. So I think about each day, like which chunks and which scenes I'm going to accomplish. And it prevents me from having to look at the whole book and thinking like, Oh, I'm jumping into writing a whole novel, which can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah, that's a great point. If I think if you think about like, Oh, I have to write a book that feels impossible. Even if you've written books before, every time you start a new one, it feels totally daunting. So finding a way to like break it up and make it more doable, I think is really helpful for a lot of writers. Totally. I mean, it's like, since we mentioned running before, it's, it's kind of like the same idea. If you think about like, Oh, I'm just going to do this many miles. Like it's so hard to, to even get out the door, but you know, even when you're running, you have kind of your markers and you know, you've gone this far and you have this much left. And I think everything, when you just break it up into little steps is so much more manageable than if you, if you ever think about like the vast work or, you know, effort you have to put into something, it's hard to even get out the door. Right. Yeah, that's so true for so much of life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one thing I always love to ask authors is if you could go back and give one piece of advice to yourself as a younger writer that might have helped you along the way, what would you want to tell yourself? Oh, honestly, I would tell myself to just like totally chill out and not worry <laughs> so much. I think I was, you know, I think I had all these ideas and put so much pressure onto myself. Like I, I think it was like, 
I have to have my first novel published by 25. And now I look back and I'm like, why? That was so young. <laughs> like, that was an absurd deadline to put on myself. Um, but yeah, I think, like, I would say just, like, if you love this and you keep working on it, like, there is a path for you. And, and to not, you know, compare yourself and to set all these arbitrary deadlines and just to, you know, keep writing. Very, very good advice. Very good for all of us. Um, so I'm going to let you go, but just quickly before we do, can you tell us anything that's coming up next for you? Anything you want to share that you're working on? Yes, I am doing visions right now on my next thriller, which should come out uh, a year from now. And I don't have a totally set title, but I can tell you the pitch is um, it's, it's heavily influenced by Strangers on a Train, the Patricia Highsmith novel. But um, it's about two moms who meet on a playground um, in Park Slope. And so it's, I say it's like strangers on the train, except for instead of a train, it's a playground because one of the moms especially is definitely not who she says she is. Oh, I'm in. I'm totally in. <laughs> I love the setting too. That Park Slope neighborhood is great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a so lot. I'm There's a lot to explore there. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully when that comes out, we'll have you back on the podcast. It was great to talk with you today. Yeah, I would love to. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottereaderspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play or participate in an author or marketing talk or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right, here we are on act two. Uh, we do our writing topics. So we have a Charlotte Lit two-minute tip. This one is by Paul Reale, uh, How to Get Something Started, part four. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Paul Reale from Charlotte Lit with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is the last of four tips about how to get something started. Emerging and novice writers, when they meet a published writer, often ask this question, where do you get your ideas? In the first of these four tips, I said that if you're a writer's, Ideas should come to you from literally everywhere. Today, I want to clarify that statement and add a little, so what do you do about it? Here are three characteristics of writers who abound with ideas. One, they pay attention. Two, they are curious. And three, they capture the information they take in from their attention and curiosity. Let's look at each of these three. Paying attention means moving through the world with your writer's antennae up. Many people seem to be on autopilot. Creative people can't afford to be. The world is full of stimuli, full of writing prompts. Keep your eyes open and you'll have more ideas than you can ever write about. The second characteristic is being curious. I don't know a successful writer who is not an intensely curious person, a lifelong learner, a rabbit hole traveler. Curious writers read outside their chosen genres and usual interest areas. They cultivate experiences. They travel, they have curious friends. The third characteristic is the desire to not lose those things observed and found. There are many ways to capture the prompts, ideas, sparks, etc. 
Your phone has a voice recorder and a notepad. Your purse or satchel should always have a notebook in it. There are a hundred ways, but one of them is not to trust your memory. Trust me, I've written down more ideas than I can ever write, and I've also forgotten more ideas than I've written down. Your action step is to be deliberate in your day. Be aware, be curious, and be relentless about capturing what you find. For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to Beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. All right. Thanks, Paul, for another uh, great prompt for us to, to discuss on the podcast. Uh, and also, I'm just thinking, uh, Sarah and Hannah, about how some of what's in our quote books ties into this as well, because the next book that's coming out soon, Learning to Write, I can recall people talking about things like this, being curious and paying attention, but also in the research book that comes out, uh, I think it's the third or the fourth book, this idea of carrying a notebook or capturing it with your audio phone or different kinds of things. But uh, yeah, let's talk about this, these three characteristics, paying attention, being curious and capturing the information. What do you, what are your thoughts, Sarah? Yeah, well, I, I really love this whole series from Paul about how to get started. So I'm glad that he's sharing all these good tips with us. I think it's very helpful. Um, I think that these are great points and great kind of pieces of advice as far as one of the things that makes a really great writer, I think, is just being observant. You know, it's not necessarily about having an idea that's totally new or coming up with something that's like this great, fantastic, surprising twist on reality. Sometimes it's about taking the real world and real people and just observing them really, really closely and pointing out the things that we've all sort of absorbed and seen before, but never really thought about, or we haven't thought about phrasing it in a certain way, like a writer. I love it when a writer can capture something and, and just explain it in a way that feels so apt. And you're like, oh yeah, like I, I would never think to explain it that way, but that's exactly the way that you should describe this. Um, so yeah, I think that it's true that you should just be an observer of everyday life, places, people, yourself, you know, and just be really honest sometimes with yourself about who you are and why you do the things you do and the way that your thoughts actually work. Um, and if you can figure out how to communicate that on the page, it's it's really effective. And also his point about capture it is very true. <laughs> I, there have been so many times when I've thought like, oh, this idea is, it really strikes me in the moment. Of course, I'll remember it. And I don't. <laughs> so I don't trust myself to remember anymore. Exactly. And Hannah, I know that, um, you know, you, you've talked in the past, um, I think you do this in your forward to book eight about how uh, authors shouldn't be afraid of marketing because it's really just another form of storytelling. You're telling the story of you, the author, and the story of your story. So even though Paul's post here is kind of related to um, this idea for writers, it, it kind of also applies to the marketing side as well. That is paying attention, being curious, and capturing the information that you can use in publicizing your book. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, paying attention. I feel like uh, one of the first things I learned about the PR field was just to like always be up to date with what's happening in the world. Um, just like set Google alerts for keywords of things that I'm researching or projects I'm working on, you know, like be on Twitter at the time that was like, and I realize it's kind of a dumpster fire right now, but you know, it's, I've always kind of used Twitter as a media or a news source and TikTok's kind of like that now, you know, it's like all the trends, all that kind of thing. So it's kind of um, a big part of the field is really making sure you're aware of what's happening in the news, because that's how I figure out like, okay, this client would be a good fit for this outlet or, um, you know, researching, uh, 
what journalists are working on, what kind of projects or what kind of books and that kind of thing. And I think being curious too, that's a huge part of um, what I do. And it's, it's kind of the fun part. I think being curious is very, uh, it's like a drive to me, you know, it's like being motivated to do something because I'm curious about it. It's like, Oh, I'd like to learn more about that. And um, I think it also goes with not being like being curious and not being afraid to learn more about something that I might not know much about. Um, And so I, I definitely think that's a really fun part of the job. And then of course, like, recording everything like that's if I didn't do that <laughs> I would be like a mess and I, I I am kind of a mess anyway but but like I do have my own like way of organizing things and I, I have like I use notebooks all the time and I'm always jotting down just like different ideas like because for example this morning when I was driving home from dropping um Gwen off with her grandparents I was just like thinking about two projects I'm working on and I'm like that would be a great idea that would be a great idea and so I like whip out my phone and start like voice dictating it. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's super important. I think once you see, like, if you're a person that writes notes, which, uh, you know, I I think it's a great thing to do. It's nice to actually see it in front of you. It's like a tangible thing that you can say like, oh, this is something I need to do and I could cross it off or this is an idea that I have. And, um, you know, it's kind of a guide. I think that's how I look at it a little bit. Well, I'm glad you didn't whip out your notepad and start writing while you were driving. No, yeah. I'm a safe driver. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, just to wrap this uh, discussion up, I like the the other two phrases you used, which were lifelong learner and rabbit hole tracker, I think is what he said. So going down into rabbit holes and stay, staying in there for a while, but also just this idea um, that we're always learning. And that, that's been my experience on the podcast, been my experience writing that, uh, you know, if you're open to to learning and taking more courses and reading and that kind of thing, you're just going to get better at it, you know, and it, that's just a fact. So if if you, I think we've had a couple of authors, uh, maybe even John Hart, who said, if you, you know, if you think you know it, I'm not sure he said it this way. If you think you know it all, then then, then it's over, you know, mm-hmm. but you got to keep after it. You got to keep working. Um if not, I think he, he used the word, you're just a dilettante, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Love so, that. <laughs> uh, you got to keep going. All right, well, we're going to do, uh, we're going to shift to uh, the, the community blog post. Uh, this is a nice topic because authors run out of steam sometimes, and this is about uh, resting. Uh, so right after this. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right. Uh, and Cameron, I apologize for probably getting your last name wrong, but... Uh... Cameron Polverari, we'll try that, uh, is our author who submitted this blog. It's titled, Might I Suggest a Hammock? And as I said, it talks about the role of rest for writers. Uh, Hannah, tell us a little bit about Cameron. Yeah, Cameron was uh, born and raised in both Carolinas. um, And while having lived in several far-flung places, I like that description, she keeps coming home to Fairmont, North Carolina. She's currently on a personal quest to complete a section of hikes along the 1,175-mile Mountains to Sea Trail in North Carolina. Oh, my God, that makes me tired. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good for you, Cameron. Uh, but in the meantime, teaches high school English and considers herself to be an avid hammock enthusiast. Um, her novel, From the Fires Scattered There, is a historical fiction novel that tells the hauntingly tragic story of the 1943 train wreck of the Miami Champion. I'm butchering that in Robeson County, North Carolina. <laughs> what is that yeah, actually? Well, I hope she has uh, good, good reception so she can listen to this episode on on her walk, but uh, who knows? Uh, and also, in fairness to her, she wrote this and submitted it uh, in sort of the bleak days of January and February. And, you know, it's going to be springing forth here by the time this episode comes out. So just kind of put yourself into that mind space uh, as you listen. Might I suggest a hammock? It happens every year. About this time, in the sagging gloom of mid-January, my brain shrivels up and retreats into a nest of its own. My creativity thins to a crisp and turns brittle like the last of the oak leaves skittering down the street. Still reeling from the consecutive battering of Halloween, then Thanksgiving, then Christmas, then New Year's, I am, in short, exhausted. This is very poor timing. While the rest of society dusts off their treadmills and buys brand new running shoes, I fall prostrate into my hammock and stare blank-brained into the bare trees overhead. While social media is a flurry with aspirations and inspiration for the new year, new you trend, my foot drags listlessly in the dirt beneath me, back and forth, forth and back. I don't even have the gumption to push myself into a respectable rhythm. There's no momentum. I just hang there in my own space and in my own web of uselessness. Even the dogs are disappointed in me. They sigh and drop their heads back down between their paws. Sure, I try different tactics to snap myself out of these doldrums. I go for a hike. I cook something delicious, sometimes. I watch a season of Alone with envy. I read books by my favorite authors. Still, nothing comes. No ideas, no motivation, no eureka. And somehow I always end up back in my hammock, foot dragging, rope creaking, dog sighing. Then a realization hits me. This is the time to rest. Winter is bald and bare and beautiful because it rests. And while I am not bald nor bare nor beautiful, I should rest too. The trees withhold their leaves because they're resting. The earth withholds her green grass and her flowers and flamboyance because she is resting. The beasts are resting. The insects, the gardens, the snakes, and all the world needs rest. Without it, spring would be nominal. Summer would be a burden. Autumn would be heartbreaking. Writers, too, need rest. Our creativity craves a season to simply sit in silence without guilt and without so much as a murmur of productivity panting down our necks. We need to recuperate, rejuvenate, replenish. So might I suggest a hammock? Might I suggest a long, blank stare into winter trees, a foot dragging in the dirt, and the gentle, reassuring creak of rope under the weight of your creative weariness? For without rest, our words may become nominal, our stories may become a burden, and our passion for this thing we do may become heartbreaking. Robert Frost wrote that one could do worse than be a swinger of birches. I might also add that one could do worse than be a swinger of hammocks. So go ahead, writers. Rest. Temporarily embrace your mental apathy. Then rekindle, renew, and resurrect. All right. Well, there's so much here. I love the, uh, this uh, 
the fact that uh, this blog post and others we've had have been, uh, some of them have been very lyrical like this one, you know, this, uh, like a story in addition mm-hmm. to some helpful tips. And uh, so listeners, you, you know, it's there, it's free, you know, submit to the blog, uh, flex your writing muscles and tell us a story and offer some tips and suggestions like this. I would even go as far to say that uh, it doesn't have to be January and February when you get in the hammock, you know, <laughs> there are also times you need to rest yeah. in March, April, May, June, July, August, September, November, December, yeah. Every For, day, uh, all day, forever. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty good in the summertime too, under a tree with a nice little breeze and mm-hmm. everything. Um, lots to pick out here, uh, but uh, I'll start, uh, Sarah, with you. Yeah, I mean, I could totally relate to this, even though now, thankfully, it's March and it's starting to be a little bit springy here. Like, I, I definitely get that. I don't know if it's like full-on seasonal affective disorder or whatever, but I get the winter doldrums for sure. So um, I understand that that time period and that feeling she was talking about. But yeah, I think that... Um, that is a really important point that as a writer, you need rest, you need to give your brain a break. Um, And whether that's taking, you know, a whole month or part of the year to not work on projects, or whether it's just giving yourself a break during the day, like maybe working for an hour or two, and then doing something else and coming back to your writing later. I know for me, I'm, I'm, I've heard of writers who can write for like eight or 10 hours at a stretch, and I'm not one of them. (laughs) Like I can go from maybe two to three hours maximum at a time, and then I need to direct my attention to something else or else my brain is going to explode. <laughs> um, but also it's, for me, it's also kind of the the cycle of how I write a project. Like I like to write a draft and then put it away for a while and focus on other things, um, maybe work on a different project and then come back to the first one. Um, and I'll see it with fresh eyes and I'll be able to see things that I didn't see in it before and um, kind of take a new stab at that new draft. But I need that rest period where I'm not actively looking at it in order to notice more. So um, I think there are different ways to apply this principle. But yeah, you have to kind of give your brain that space to recharge and be creative. Well, yeah. And Hannah, I just want to break the news to you now that you've got a four or five month though, you won't be able to rest for the next two <laughs> Uh, but if you did if hypothetically if you did get in a hammock with the dog sigh and uh if you weren't playing with them oh my gosh well i actually have a hammock in my yard so (laughs) i'm like looking right at it right now (laughs) i'm also an avid hammocker um i love hammocks so much i used to i'm a big concert person i used to be one of those music festival um homies that just did multiple of those a year and that's where i'd always go during the daytimes is like the little hammock sections i just love it um but yeah i mean i think a hammock is a great symbol of rest and i think you know ever since gwen was born i have a different uh perspective of the value of rest (laughs) like i feel like i'm a person that moves like 8,000 miles per hour so that's not really something that i was super accustomed to even before, you know, but now it's kind of like, I feel like I have a new appreciation for slowing down. Um, And maybe that's just because like, you know, when you have a little kid, you're watching her or them do different things every day, or like they're learning new skills and they're interacting with you. And it's kind of just like, this is really kind of what life is all about, you know? So it's kind of encouraging to be like, okay, slow down a little bit, maybe take a breather from the 1 million things you're thinking about and just sort of like, maybe Gwen is my, my uh, hammock right now. She's my, (laughs) she's my, my version of like what it means to take a step back and sort of like see or have the inspiration of like the life you're living kind of sink into your skin. um, If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I think, um, 
to echo both your points. Um, rest is needed uh, for writers and uh, podcasters, and there are all kinds of ways to do it. Hammock sounds like a great one with a good book. Uh, for me, sometimes it's a trout stream or walking um, or playing with a, a grandkid who likes to kick a ball. You know, lots of ways to kind of get out there uh, and rest and relax. So thank you, uh, Cameron, for reminding us of, of the need to do that because sometimes we go – at such speeds that we, uh, you know, we just crash and, uh, you know, crash uh, and burn. You're gonna, you're gonna crash. Look for a hammock nearby, right? So, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna jump into Act Three here right after this. For all things Charlotte Meters podcast, check out charlottemeaterspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. All right, here we are in Act 3 with uh, some book recommendations and uh, what's coming next. Uh, so starting with uh, Sarah, what you got for us? Um, so today I'm recommending Something Like Gravity by Amber Smith, who, of course, is a local Charlotte author who's been on the podcast before, um, and she's a great uh, member of kind of the local writing community. Uh, this is a book that she published a couple of years ago or that I read a couple of years ago. I don't really read too much YA, but I really enjoyed this. I, I thought it was beautifully written. Um, it takes place over the course of one summer, and it's kind of about the relationship between these two teenagers. Um, one of them is a trans transgender boy who is processing this assault that he experienced. Um, one of them is a girl whose sister passed away, and she's processing that. So it's just kind of about their individual journeys, but also how they come together and, and impact each other. Um, it was very moving. And I think that it gets at the experience of teenagers in a way that felt sensitive and believable and real. Um, so yeah, I, I love her writing and I'm always happy to support Amber, who is such a, a great part of our Charlotte community. Yeah. Amber's got a very nice, soft podcast voice too. Ooh, she know, does. She was, yeah. I heard her <laughs> she was early on the podcast. Uh, might even have been second season and and this was the book we did something like gravity so if you're interested in going back and listening to that interview uh you can just go to our website and scroll through the uh list of authors and find her and click on and find her there just scroll back through your uh through your app there to find it but yes and amber's got uh, a lot of great tips too that because uh, we did a exclusive episode for patreon on uh and she talked about some things that ended up in some of these quote books uh, all right so hannah what you got I am recommending The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. Um, this is a book that I've kind of read over the course of many years. <laughs> I like. I feel like I, I got it um, after losing a friend. Um, it was recommended to me, and it's just a really beautiful uh, book about when she lost her husband, um, like kind of the processes of grief you go through and what, what happens to your mind, body, soul after losing someone important to you. And I felt like it was just one of those books that really kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's a good therapeutic book, but also it's like, I don't know, she's such a beautiful writer that I feel like every word she puts on the page is so intentional and just fantastic. And, um, so while a lot of tears were shed while reading it, but also it's just, uh, I feel like you can't help but just sort of marvel at her writing the whole time. Um, so I definitely would recommend that. That's great. That's great. And I've got a book uh, to recommend. It's called Leaves from a President's Notebook, Lessons on Life and Leadership by the late Thomas K. Hearn, Jr. Um, with an introduction by his son, Thomas Hearn III, who I know. Uh, Thomas Hearn, Jr. was the president of Wake Forest University 
1983 to 2005, which is a long time to serve as a president of university. And he kept notes along the way um, of his speeches and his reflections. And it's a very interesting look into what a president has to say about lots of different things related to college life and university life and also athletics in college and some of the changes that have happened over the years. So, uh, yes, yeah, a short uh, little essays and reflections. Uh, if you're interested, that book's out now. Um, hey, let's listen to what uh, Mark West has to offer this week. Hello, this is Mark West with the Storied Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is a novel called The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. This novel is the featured book in the Community Read Program that the Charlotte Public Library is sponsoring during the month of March. The People We Keep is a coming-of-age novel featuring a young woman named April. The book takes place in the 1990s, and it deals with a young woman who leaves home while still a teenager and tries to make a family for herself. She works as a performer and as a cook in a diner, and in the process of her adventures, she creates a found family. I highly recommend The People We Keep. All right. Lots of great book recommendations. Uh, too many books and not enough time, right? Always. <laughs> always, always. All right. Well, um, we uh, look in our, for our newsletter, if you're still with us, thank you, by the way. Um, but uh, look in our newsletter for information about a, a workshop we've got coming up in April um, that uh, with the Charlotte Rogers Club that's going to uh, feature the first and second books in our series. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about those topics and also a little panel discussion about traditional versus indie publishing and some marketing as well. Um, so look for that uh, in the newsletter and on social media. Um, great episode today. Appreciate y'all listening. Uh, Sarah, what's coming next? So next time we're going to feature Jen Bouchard and her novel First Course, which is the recipient of 14 awards. It's a story about family and relationships, amazing food and life second acts. Um, Jen also shared some great marketing tips in that interview. So make sure to tune in if you're interested in that. Um, we're also going to feature book two of the Write Quote series titled Learning to Write with audio versions of the foreword and the reflections and a peek by the host at some of our favorite quotes. And then we feature a thought-provoking Charlotte two-minute tip, some elevator pitches, and our book recommendations. All right, good stuff. Uh, Hannah, take us home. All right, everybody. Read on, ride on, and go buy yourself a hammock. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> While you're in the hammock, do what? Just rock on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>